I am so excited to be with you guys today. You know, they called and they said, Tim, we want you to come and talk about multiplication. And I thought, well, that's easy. I'll just grab Genesis 1.28. God says, be fruitful and multiply. We'll talk about that for a few minutes. We'll dismiss the married couples early to go and apply that message to their lives. And everybody will be happy. And then, and they said, no, 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 it's not that kind of multiplication. I said, oh, oh, you see, we want you to talk about church multiplication, ministry multiplication. I went, oh, okay, okay, I can do that too, because I love that. But multiplication is important because you got to ask yourself the question, what are you multiplying, right? Because right now, in case you haven't heard, there's something going around in the world it's called the coronavirus. Have you heard about it? Yeah. It's like, and you know, they just, I just found out they diagnosed a case right here in Orange County. Well, I'm going back to Arizona at 4 o'clock today, so, you know, I'll be all right. Maybe I'm the one that's going to bring it over there to them. I don't know. But, but you know, just because just it's multiplication doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing. Because you have to ask yourself, what is it that you are multiplying? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. And you know, I'm just going to keep it super simple for us today. So turn in your, in your uh, Bible, your app, whatever you got. And as was mentioned before, I come to you on behalf of the Evangelical Free Church of America. I should say, by the way, that I was informed that this church, from a denominational perspective, is now what you call duly affiliated. So it's Evangelical Free and North American Baptist. So there may be some of you here today, I know I was at the Anaheim campus earlier, there may be some of you here today who, who like go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I kind of know about Evangelical Free, and then there's some of you that go, yeah, I'm a North American Baptist person. But there's probably a whole bunch of you that are like, man, I don't really care about any of that stuff, which I totally understand that as well. But I'm, I'm this district superintendent. I just started in December, and so I'm really excited about this role. But I started thinking about, like, man, I work for this organization called Evangelical Free. Like, what does that even, what do those words even mean? And so what I want to talk to you about today are these two words, evangelical and free. That's all I want to talk about. Because whatever denominational stripe you are or not or whatever, that, none of that stuff matters. What I think, though, is you just look at those two words independently. They may be the most important thing about this church, and they may be the most important thing about your life. So I just want to ask, like, what do those words even mean, and why do they matter? Because if, in case you didn't know, if you consider yourself an evangelical, you got a bit of a PR problem right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, people don't like evangelicals because there's a, a lot not to like about them right now, at least as far as the media is portrayed. In fact, it's almost seen as like an insult. Oh, you're one of those evangelicals, right? In fact, there was an article in The Atlantic that came out last fall, and The Atlantic isn't necessarily a very uh, sympathetic Christian publication, but there was a guy who, a professor from Baylor University who considers himself an evangelical. And the, uh, the title of the article is, Evangelical Has Lost Its Meaning. 
And to paraphrase, he basically said the problem is when people think of evangelicals today, the kind of person they most likely think of is a white guy who drives a truck and owns a gun and votes Republican and loves America, right? So I was preaching this similar message at a church kind of like, I won't say where, but it was outside the metro area of, you know, it was in central California. And I dropped that line and the whole congregation went, yeah! (laughs) And I was like, wait, no, no, hang on, you know? I I said, okay, listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I mean, like for me, like I happen to be a white guy. Um, I used to have a truck, but then I had kids and I had to get rid of that. Now I drive a Honda Civic. And, and, and I, I live in a, in a red state out in there in Arizona, and I do have a firearm. I don't really use it very much. But here's the thing. None of those things make me an evangelical. And none of those things make you an evangelical. It has nothing to do with your politics or anything. And it's because there's a lot of people that are self-identifying as evangelicals because of their politics. That's not what the word means. And so the question we have to ask is, what does it mean and why does it matter? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, we begin to get a clue. And so Mark is writing the story of Jesus. Now you think about this for a minute, because if you've been in church for a while, you take these kinds of things for granted. Ah, it's the book of Mark. But when Mark was sitting down to write this, he was trying to think like, how do I say this in a way that people who have never heard it before are going to get hooked? And so it begins this way in in the first chapter, the first verse. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, right there in the very first phrase, the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, we get the reason why we are called evangelical. Because the phrase, good news, comes from the Greek word, euangelio, which literally means evangelical. So an evangelical, then, would be a a messenger of good news. Because evangelical, or in this case, euangelio, means Gospel, which means good news or good message. So a person who carries that is a messenger of good news. And by the way, baked into the word evangelical is the word what? Angel. It's in there. What's an angel? An angel is nothing more than a messenger. Last, last month we had Christmas. And so if you read the Christmas story, you know that the angels come to the shepherds. And what do they say? They say, we came to bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's what they are. So here's the deal. If you are an evangelical, it has nothing to do with your feelings about Donald Trump or the government, or guns, or any of that stuff. If you are an evangelical, you are by definition a messenger of good news. That's it. Now you can add a few other things in there about your belief about the scripture and being the word of God. All that's really important. But it all flows from a fundamental idea that there's good news that actually happened, that's actually true, and that you are put here on this earth to be a messenger of it. So you live in Orange County, not because it's your home, but because this is where God has sent you. Your home is in heaven, by the way. This is just, this is your outpost. This is where you hang out for a while on planet earth. This is where God has chosen you to live. 
thankfully for you, this is a wonderful place to live. But you are here to be a messenger of good news. Then that is the essence. Now here's the thing though. How often does that differ from how we see ourselves? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I see myself as less of a messenger of good news and more like a guardian of a dying tradition. That's how a lot of evangelicals see themselves. And, and, or maybe you are the, uh, the last remnant of a bygone era. And it almost feels good to be like that. You know, I'm, we're one of the last few. And we just got to hold the line. The problem is it puts you in a defensive posture. It puts you in a posture where you're, you're always kind of like reacting to stuff. But that's not what the scripture says that we are or what we're to do. We are people who primarily go out on an offensive mission, on an offensive campaign, because we are messengers of good news. We are gospel people. But it doesn't end there because if you look at the passage, it continues to go on. So he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But it continues. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, if you look at verse 2, right out of the gate, what does God do? He sends we have a sending God. He sends a messenger ahead of Jesus. He sends angels. He sends John the Baptist. He sends the Holy Spirit. And he sends us. And you know what blows me away about that? Is if we talk about this idea of good news, not bad news, because our message is not bad news. Our message is actually good news for everybody. When you have good news, don't you like being the one who shares it? Don't you hate it when someone steals your good news and they say it before you get a chance to? You know, see, like where I live in Arizona, one of the greatest things you can do for your children in all of their life is take them to Disneyland. Now, I know out here, you know, you guys are like, ah, Disneyland. You all have annual passes. You know, you go there for lunch. You know, you don't care. Your kids are like, Disneyland's boring. We go there every day. Like, when you're in Arizona, and you, two, you put your, like, the kids like, oh, wow. So you get the kids together, you know, and like, it's like, hey, kids, we're, and then your spouse jumps in, we're going to Disneyland. You're like, no, I wanted to tell them that was my good news. You stole it. Because you want to see the reaction of their little eyes, like, oh, you want to be the one that has that effect. Now, I thought about that because I thought, well, if God has this good news, why wouldn't he want to tell people himself? But he doesn't do that. He he lets us do it. He says, no, you get to be the one to tell everybody the good news. I think that's pretty amazing. In fact, if you look at it, it's all over Scripture. So the essence of being an evangelical is of being one sent by God to, to declare good news. And if you look at John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So you're all these great things. Why? That you may declare, not that you may huddle up, not that you may take shelter, but that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that beautiful? So once you were not a people, that's bad news. Once you had no home, you had no, you had no organization, you had no calling, you had no identity, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, which is a terrible place to be, but now you have received mercy. It was bad news, now it's good news. 
So then we have to ask ourselves the question, though, what is this good news about? She finds him, okay, you're telling me, all right, an evangelical isn't all these things that the media says it is. It's a messenger of good news. But what exactly is this good news that we are to be messengers of? Well, thankfully, as we continue to work our way through Mark, it, he tells us. Because it says in verse 4, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, because he was sent, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, of all the things that John could have led with, I find it interesting that he leads with that, with the idea of the fact that sins can be forgiven, that's right out of the gate to hook people like, that's interesting. And the whole rest of the book, if you want to understand the entire book of Mark, it's really just scene after scene after scene of Jesus healing people, performing miracles, and teaching in such a way that people identify him as having the capability to actually do that. All the way to the climactic part of the story where Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying in our place, bearing the sins on in his body, and the Roman soldier who was complicit in his crucifixion looks at him and says, truly this man was the Son of God. Truly he has the authority to actually do this. And so you could say that evangelical, an evangelical is a messenger sent by God to tell people good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ sets me free from sin. In other words, Jesus Christ sets me free from that which is killing me. Because in case you didn't know it, you're dying right now. Did you know that? You might feel really good. You might even be a young person. But you're dying right now. And the reason you're dying is because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the wages of sin is death. So we die because our, our bodies are infected with sin. And there's no escaping it, right? So what Jesus does is he separates us from that which kills us. Now, we still die in our physical bodies, and we know that, which in, in a sense is a blessing because we are liberated from this earth and we get to go to, to be in heaven where our life really in so many ways begins. But, but we are not ultimately beholden to death. Death cannot hold you. So everything that could hold you, Jesus has separated as far as the east is from the west. So no matter what you did last night, no matter what condition you're in right now, no matter what secrets you're hiding from your spouse and sins that you cannot get rid of, no matter what you condition you are in right now, Jesus Christ actually has the ability and authority to completely remove you from that which is destroying you. That is good news. Because where there is no death, there is life. And Jesus says, I have come to him of life and have it to great abundance. So then life becomes a series of exponentially greater and richer and deeper experiences that never end all the way into eternity. That's good news. In fact, when I was, I was pastoring a church for many years in, in the Phoenix area, and I used to tell my congregation all the time, I said, look, you don't have to believe that. You just got to come up with something better. But you won't. You can't. I dare you. Go out there, go out there, survey all of the world's religions, philosophies, and come up with something better than what I just told you. That's good news. So it's funny when people say you got to have faith in Jesus. You ever wonder what they mean when they say that? you got to have faith in Jesus. What does that mean? I was thinking about that. I think what it really means is you actually have faith that Jesus is the one who's capable of doing that. He's the one capable of removing me from my sin. So 
I can, I can rest. My heart is at rest because I know he did what I could never do for myself. That's what it means to have faith in him. So let me ask you a question. Do you remember the moment that you first realized your sin was taken away? Do you remember when it first hit you? Because some of us, we've been in church for a long time, and it's like you learn the Bible stories, you do your thing, and it's like you get into church culture, and it just becomes kind of old hat, right? And you, know, you learn, maybe you get in like a lot of like really deep theology for a while, and you learn all this stuff, and you become smarter than everybody else, or you, you, know, you start getting into your little rabbit trails. When was the last time you revisited that moment when you realized you were finally free? Forever, forever finally free. When you were overwhelmed by grace. Do you remember that? Maybe it's time to get back to that and rediscover that. Do you realize that because Jesus paid once for all, you cannot be tried twice for the same crime? Martin Luther called it the great exchange. My sin for the, for the righteousness of Jesus. He gets my sin, I get his righteousness. That happened, if you're a believer. This great reformer guy, theologian guy said, payment God cannot twice demand. Once from my bleeding surety's hand, and then again from mine. God can't demand the payment twice. It's already been paid. You are free to go. That's why it says in 1 Peter 2.24 about Jesus that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed. And that those words need to have a profound impact not just in the moment that we discovered it but enduring on in our lives as we, as we stare ourselves straight in the face at our inability to please God in any way but the richness of his mercy that flows down upon us. Now, I say all this because, because of this, our faith is not defensive. Our faith is not reactionary. Our faith is one that is lethal when it is understood correctly. There's nothing that can stand in its way. And so, yeah, you know what? You're gonna call me an evangelical? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm guilty as charged, man. Because I'm a messenger of good news, good news that you need to hear, and you need to hear, and you need to hear. I'm a person on the planet. Like we just sang this really cool song, you know, about the Amazon, all the people all over the world. I don't care where you come from or who you are. We all bleed the same blood, baby. Sometimes people say, well, you Christians, you think you're better than everybody else. Uh-uh. I think we're all in the same boat. That's why we all need Jesus. We all bleed the same blood. We all have the same stuff going on. We're all human beings created in the image of God. And we all have hope. Here's the thing. When you connect with that, when that becomes real, when you reconnect with that, you can't help but multiply that. See, I said at the beginning, it's not just about multiplication. It's what are you multiplying? What are you multiplying? You multiply that. It's powerful. It's powerful. So I'll take evangelical. But I told you I came as a representative of the evangelical free church. So... You know, we're not just messengers of good news, but we're free, which is kind of a funny name, you know. Like, I work for this organization called Evangelical Free, and it's like, people don't understand what that means, because it sounds like caffeine-free, like free of caffeine, or free of sugar. So, oh, so we have people come to our church, and they'd find out we're Evangelical Free. They go, oh, it's so good. You guys are, no evangelicals here, man. This is an evangelical-free zone, right? 
It's great. And then they find out what it really means. They're like, no, I've been duped. You know, you lied to me. So what does the word free mean anyway? Well, so I've been in the, in the uh, Air Force Reserve, actually over with Pastor Ethan over at March Air Reserve Base. We were in different areas, but past six years. And when I got in, they said, you need to get ordained. And I had never been ordained because I kind of skirted the issue. And it's kind of really Pastor Ray's fault because I got into the Evangelical Free, and he's invited me to teach church planning boot camps and stuff. And like, no one ever held me to the standard of ordination. And I just, you know, got away with not being ordained. So when I got in the Air Force, they said, you got to get ordained. So I went to one of these, like, I didn't want to do the Evangelical Free because it took like three years and have that kind of time. So I went to one of these like write a little paper and fly out to Fort Lauderdale for the weekend and these guys lay their hands on you, which is kind of a weird story to tell. But it sounds weird. But, but that's what happened. And then they pray for you and then all of a sudden, here I am, I'm ordained. But then when I started working for these guys, they said, look, you actually need to get ordained in the evangelical free. So I've been reading the history of the evangelical free church, which I thought would be really boring. But as it turns out, it's not. In fact, did you know, and this is in terms of our, our spiritual forefathers that kind of, you could trace your spiritual lineage and heritage back to some of these guys. Did you know that in the nation of Sweden, there was a time when the Protestant church ran the government? Not the Roman Catholic church, but the Protestant church. And you think, wouldn't that be great? Because, you know, we wouldn't have all these culture wars, you know, like the abortion thing and the same-sex stuff. You'd all be kind of in alignment. you think it'd be a great situation. But it wasn't. Because anytime the government gets involved in something, you better believe it's going to be not necessarily the best situation. Because they said, look, we run, the, the government runs the church. Therefore, if you're going to go to church, you go to a state church. You can, that's all, the only option you have is a state-run church. I don't know about you, but that didn't sound very good. Because I go to the DMV, and I'm like, I don't want the church to be like the DMV, man. I mean, can you imagine if Pastor Ray was a government employee, you know? All these band members are government employees. It's like, that. Would, if you're a government employee, I'm really sorry. I, I'm just, I know we're like in the like city of Brea Civic Center. That's very bad form of me. But, but Ronald Reagan did say, Ronald Reagan did say, the scariest nine words you could ever hear are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. So I'll just leave it at that. But what they did was they got so full of themselves that they passed a law that said you could not have a Bible study in your own home. Can you imagine that? The Protestant-run country said made a law, it was passed in 1726 called the Conventicle Law, that said you could not have a Bible study in your own home. In fact, if you got caught, you'd be fined, imprisoned, or banished. And at first I thought, well, finding and imprisoning doesn't sound very fun, but who cares about banishment? But then I learned about what it is. It's not good. Like, if you're a high school student in here and you think banishment isn't a big deal, imagine this. Imagine getting your phone taken away for the rest of your life. Like, you could never have a phone again as long as you live. Be like, ah! I mean, you're, you're, you're done. You're just a social outcast. So it's a terrible consequence. But why do I bring that up? Because our spiritual ancestors, when that law was passed, they said, who do you guys think you are? We will study the Bible and do church however we believe the Scripture tells us to do church. You can't tell us what we are supposed to do, what we can and can't do. We are free. And that's what they did. So you come from a long line of rogues, rebels, and rule breakers. You do. And you know what happened? 
when they declared themselves free and they said, we don't care what the Swedish government says about we, us studying the Bible. We'll study the Bible in our own homes. We'll study our Bible in the kitchen. We'll study our Bible on the forest. We don't care. Where. We'll study it everywhere. And you know what happened? They multiplied. They multiplied. So what does it mean to be free? Well, let me tell you. Free means to be liberated, to be a bold and creative multiplier. To be liberated, to be a bold and creative multiplier. Now, why is that, I think, so important to us? Because, you know, sometimes we can get along in our Christianity to a place where we begin to kind of act like the Swedish government. And we start passing our own conventical laws. We start saying, well, church should be like this, and church should be like that. And the way we reach people, we can't go outside these parameters. And yet, the people that started all that said, hey, no, 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 you tell me where it's written. And so under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the, in, the um, being informed by the Scripture, we will do whatever works, whatever it takes to get the message of good news out to the people who most desperately need to hear it. And that may mean that we do some unconventional stuff. That means we try some things that may not work. That means we step out a little bit in ways that might not feel always good. Now, I don't need to necessarily tell you guys a lot about that because you guys as a church are pretty innovative in a lot of what you do. But you know what's so sad when you look at the church as a whole? You got to ask yourself the question, what happened to that spirit? Because, you know, when you read about some of these guys and women, men and women who are part of this early movement, you know how they're described? They're described as bold, as courageous, as men and women of great daring, even dangerous. Described as dangerous. Anyone ever described you as dangerous? That's a dangerous person, man. That's a dangerous person. Why? Because they have good news that can transform an individual who will transform a family, who will transform a neighborhood, who will transform a society. And you have it contained right in here. Right in here. And so, you know, when we talk about that, and we talk about multiplication, We wonder, like, when it comes to discipleship, we got to, you know, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys, I mean, I know Pastor Ray, and you guys get hit with discipleship all the time. Make disciples, make disciples. What does it mean to make a disciple? And there's so many discipleship programs out there. And the old, you know, the older I get, the more I think about, you know, what, you know what making a disciple is or being a disciple maker is? You know what really all it is? It's just taking ownership of another person's spiritual condition. That's really all it is. It's just looking at your family and going, how do I take responsibility for their spiritual growth? It's going to your place of business and looking around the people that aren't even Christians and going, how do I hold myself accountable for the spiritual condition of all these people God has placed around me? That's it. To me, that's what, because what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1? Follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say that to anyone in your life? Because chances are, if that's what's going on, multiplication's going to happen. So I bring all this stuff about the gospel. 
Because I think we ought to be careful before we just simply talk about multiplication that we know what it is we are multiplying. Because if we get the gospel right and we get it clear and we understand its implications and the great liberating force that it brings to each and every life, I think multiplication is just going to kind of start happening. And discipleship is just going to start happening like it never has before. You know, I know Ray... And I know the vision for this church. And I can tell you that when someday when Ray is really old, I mean, he's kind of old now, but like when he's really old, right, when he looks back on his ministry, you know what he wants more than anything? He wants you and your children and your friends to be in love with the gospel. To be in love with the gospel. He wants you to be like him and to bear this burden in your heart of going, it, it really is on me to be a messenger of good news. It, it's not something that you outsource. It doesn't mean that I have to do exactly what Ray does or anybody else. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with personality type, what your Enneagram score is or any of that. It doesn't, it's just you, you sit there and see yourself differently. Ray wants this church to be responsible for training up leaders and planting dozens of churches. He doesn't want anyone to remember Ray Chang when all is said and done. If he did, then you'd already have like a bookstore out in the lobby, you know, Ray's new book with his, his picture on the cover, Ray's Best Life Now. You know, like that, and he'd be telling you to buy it. He doesn't do that. That's not him. It's never been him. He's more like, this old guy, Count Zizendorf, who said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. You'll be gone, but it's the gospel that endures. So let me ask you, are you prepared for that? Because I tell you, look, I know that I've, I've, this church, I don't know how to tell you this. You're in a high-challenge church. I mean, I don't know how to tell you. It's just, it, it's not like most churches. You're going to get... You're going to get challenged all, and it, sometimes it may be a little fatiguing, like, ah. It, but it's so beautiful compared to the, to the low bar that most churches set. So this is a high challenge church. If this church was a college, it'd be like an Ivy League, you know. I mean, you could go to a community college church. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I went to community college for a few years. But you guys, you guys are in the Ivy League of churches. They're, it's just, they're, they're not going to lower the bar. And so... Are you evangelical? Are you a messenger of good news? Are you clear on the power of the good news that's been shown to you? Does it resonate in your soul? And are you free? Are you free to be creative? Are you free to think differently? Are you free to widen the barriers that maybe you've put in your own mind? Knock down some of the laws that maybe you passed against what you should and shouldn't do. I think if you put evangelical and free together, you have an unstoppable combination. You are God's men and women for this town. You are God's men and women for the people He's already placed you around. And I'm so grateful 
for the calling he's put on each one of your lives. Let's pray together.